Well, it doesn't take a really, really smart person to know that it's dark out there, right? Uh, not just over there, it's dark out there, even though the sun hopefully today will shine bright. The unprovoked Russian invasion, world peace, <laughs> exposed for its inherent fragile nature that it has always had since the fall, and will still have, always have, until Jesus comes back. There's hunger, there's violence, there's injustice in every country. I read the new uh, report just this morning that one in five people on our current planet now live in countries that are designated as free. One in five. Back in 2005, it was one in two. Yeah, the times they are changing. So what's the answer, people of Grace Chapel? Uh, what's the solution, those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ? Last week, as we've been going through the Gospel of John together, we're, we were in chapter 7, and, and Jesus set His listeners straight, so straight that they, the current leadership tried to arrest Him on the spot. That's what happens sometimes when you speak the truth in love. That can be the response. But Jesus had just compared Himself to the water that the priests poured out around the altar every day during this eight-day feast that happened once a year. And that water was supposed to symbolically point to how God provided water from a rock through Moses for the nation of Israel as they wandered and they were thirsty and dying in the wilderness. And He provides this water from a rock. And Jesus stands up and emphatically states, He's the water. Now, that's a symbol. I'm actually the water. I'm the water of eternal life. Our, your only satisfaction for what's going on is going to be in me. And you can believe that or not believe it. They chose not to believe it. In the opening, I asked, what's the solution to our world's darkness? Well, it's not a what. It's a who exactly. And on the last day of this same feast, <clears throat> it's about eight days long, on the last day at night, the people who had pilgrimaged from all over the, the known world, Jews, believers in God, who had come to Jerusalem for this feast, with the, the city shrouded in darkness, would assemble in the temple area. It was the woman's court. It was one of the biggest areas in the temple. And there in that court, they would light four huge lamps, like I'm not talking about little lamps like, like these right here. I'm talking about huge, humongous lamps. And the lamps were so ginormous, have I emphasized that enough, that the wicks in each of them were actually made out of used uh, priestly robes, I mean, and rolled up really tight. I mean, that's how big the lamps were. They required those kinds of wicks. And apparently the light, when these were lit on this night, was so bright that the entire city glowed and you could see the glow from far away. And into that area on this night, <clears throat> as the lamps were lit, temple musicians would show up, similar to what we had this morning, uh, but, but not as good. And by the light of those huge lamps, the people would dance all through the night. It was a huge party. 
and they'd sing praises, praise songs, usually psalms. And they'd have tambourines and all kinds of uh, instruments, and they'd be celebrating God's goodness. God's goodness in all its various forms through the years. It was, I guess it would be, you know, Praise Fest 30 AD. That's what, that's what it was. And everybody showed up. And it was free. And it was here on the, in the darkness of that night, in the light of those lamps, that Jesus makes his, his next astounding declaration. If, as if it wasn't enough that he said, I'm that water. He says in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. So you get the backdrop? Jesus, God incarnate in human flesh, was telling them that he's the promised rescuer, the one prophesied to come to deliver God's people. It's me. I'm here. Da-da. He's the one about whose coming they are dancing and singing. I'm the reason that this is even going on. And there was something else that Jesus said that would have also resonated so much with these festive listeners. The verse continues, whoever, so I'm the light, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Not just a light to take the place of these four huge lights to guide you back home after you leave this party, but the light of life, a life that is the very opposite of death and despair. A light that is the very opposite of darkness. A light to give clarity as the world around us crumbles. A light to give us purpose instead of fumbling every day for some kind of handhold on some kind of stuff or material wealth or position or power or some kind of happiness that's fleeting. And this light of life that Jesus declares here, it assures your future and mine if you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Assured, guaranteed, in God's bank <laughs> that no one can touch. No one can close it down. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We read in another book that was authored by the same John that authored the Gospel of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter 22, 5, get this, the end of time as the world as we know it is gone and now the new heavens and new earth. And here's what it says, and night will be no more. Night would be darkness. And there will be no need of lamp. You don't need to light those lamps in the city on that festival day anymore. There will be no need of light, even sun. And we're used to that in Michigan, right? No sun. For the Lord God will be their light. God, Jesus, will be their light, and they will reign forever and forever. There is nothing boring about following Jesus Christ. And people who come across as boring, I mean, it's like, stop it. There's nothing boring about following Jesus Christ. Burdens, all those things that beat you down every day are lifted where? At the cross. You find your life by losing your life in His light. Everything opens up, and you see 
brand new. So the Pharisees, how do they respond to him? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, okay, these things you're saying, they're way out in left field. You are bearing witness about yourself. So you're getting up and saying, this is who I am. This is all true. This is what God says. But your testimony is not true because there's no one else corroborating it. The reaction of the Pharisees, like, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? Like, if you've been traveling along from John chapter 1 right up to chapter 8 here, the reaction they give to Jesus' life-claiming words continues along the same mantra that they've been selling over and over again. You speak for yourself. You don't have any signs. It's like, what channel are you watching? I mean, it's like every day he's healing somebody doing something unbelievable, and the proof's in front of your eyes. But they continue saying, you don't have any witness. No one else is cooperating it. You don't have a sign. Give us some evidence. It's like, see, see, they just didn't see it. They didn't want to see it, but they just didn't see it. And their incredible dullness, darkness, to what he has just done so far defies our spiritually enlightened comprehension because we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we see through spiritual eyes now. Everything is exposed. And they have blinders on. They they just can't get it. So Jesus will explain it to them. He's he's so patient, isn't he? And aren't you glad he is? (laughs) I would not be here. (laughs) Would you be? No. Come on. Would you be? All God's people said? No. There we go. Just want to make sure you're with me. Jesus explains it to them in verse 14. Jesus answered, and here's a beautiful point. Even if, even if, so he said, okay, I'm going to give you it, or I'm going to give you your argument, okay? okay, okay. Even if I do bear witness about myself, even if nobody else corroborates what it is I'm saying, my testimony is true. (laughs) Do you know why? Do you want to know why? For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. And for that matter, you don't know where you came from and where you're going. I'm God. You don't get it. And here's why. Verse 15. You judge according to the flesh, as most of our world does still today. And we, even who know Christ, are tempted to judge according to the flesh so often instead of by the Spirit. And that's wrong. I judge no one. Yet even if I did, my judgment is true. If I wanted to judge right now, it would be true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Y'all judge according to natural understanding. You judge according to human standards and wisdom of this world. When Jesus says, I judge no one, he's, he means that during this current earthly ministry, he did not come to judge the world, but as its Savior. Oh, he's going to come when he comes again to judge the world. Jesus is saying that their reasoning, their logic, their concerns are actually mute points. He's from God. He is God. In 17, verse 17, chapter 8, in your law, 
It is written. You, you guys, you guys you're, you're kind of half there. It is written that the testimony of two people is true. So you are correct in following the letter of your law, but guess what you're missing? Verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, which should be enough, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So there are actually two witnesses to what I am doing right now, and not just two fallible humans like you are wanting, but two of the infallible divine kind. (laughs) That's what you got. So now they are more bent out of shape than ever. So now they get all in in an uproar, and they pick at what he's just said. This is how many of us do argue. We we pick at um, uh, things that somebody said and take it out of context and don't understand it. It's what the news media on both sides, the left and the right, do all the time. They take sound bites, and then they make it into something that's not even true. So that's how our world operates. So this is what they do. They're the same way. They understand that like most of our community that you and I live in, they can't see past the physical. Like what's here, what's now? This is what's important. My retirement, my job, my family, my justice, right? They can't see past the physical things of this life. Are they important? Yeah, but they're not all. They can't get past the physical because they are dead in the spiritual. And they said to him, verse 19, where is your father? It's like, what Jesus had just said just went right over their head. Where is your father? And Jesus answered, he didn't answer like you and I would answer because we'd be so frustrated by this time, right? We'd come off with something smart. Alec, E. Jesus answered, you know neither me nor… You're asking where my dad is. You don't, you don't know me and you don't know him. Who's he talking to? The leaders of God's children, the Jews, the Jewish leadership. If you knew me, you would know my dad also, my father. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught them in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We've seen this again and again throughout John. They want to kill him. They want to arrest him. God says, not yet. It's going to happen in six months. John goes on, uh, Jesus goes on with them in this debate that's going nowhere fast. It's just amazing how he, he, he's, he's so patient. Verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Duh, right? Verse 28, so Jesus said to them, here's how you'll know, and here's a prediction to go along with it. You can check it out in six months. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, wow, that's a prediction. We're going to celebrate that, lifting up. Just coming up pretty soon here. Then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, especially when he rises from the dead three days later. But I speak just as my Father taught me. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. Is God with you? Jesus understood that. Received his confidence in doing the Father's will and knowing that God was with him. Even though he was heading to a crucifixion. 
He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You'll remember that the leaders who are listening to Him right now in the Sanhedrin especially took special pleasure in ridiculing Jesus about this very statement He's just made concerning God the Father. They ridiculed Him with it when he, as He hung on the cross. Remember those passages in the Gospels? It says that they wagged their fingers wagged their heads at him. They put it, it's put in the Greek as he hung on the cross saying, where's your father now that you told us about before? We thought he was going to rescue him. Why don't you call out to him and see if he'll come and rescue you and take you off the cross? If you really are God, like you said you were, why don't you come off the cross all by yourself? Verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I love that part that John puts in there for us. Don't you? you got this darkness. You've got this complete disregard and disbelief in what Jesus Christ Himself is saying in the flesh. Light received in the middle of darkness. It can happen. It can happen. This is our hope. This is our hope for people in our own families. This is hope for people that you work with, go to school with, your neighbor for people enduring persecution in other parts of the world, which are by the millions. So Jesus turns His focus from the dead and the dying to those who are looking to Him to be set free. In verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, okay, here's, here's how it works. If you abide in My Word, the things I'm saying that are true, you are truly My disciples. To abide in Jesus' words means to continue believing what Jesus has already said and to continue walking in obedience to what Jesus has already said. Even when the going gets rough, that's the rub, isn't it? Oh, when things are going, when the economy's booming and my stock market risks are just going through the roof. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll, I'll follow Jesus. Yeah, wherever you, wherever you lead, I will go. What happens when it all comes undone? Which it can for any one of us at any moment. After decades of following Jesus, and after going through tremendous suffering and persecution and actually recording how others have fallen away from Jesus, the same John wrote a couple other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and in 1st John 2, verses 4 to 6, he says, after watching it all unfold before him, the highs and the lows of church life, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That's how you know. And John says, by this we may know that we are in Him. This is the assurance I take, you can take. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'm hearing this in reports posted on places like Facebook of, from believers in Jesus Christ who are in Ukraine today, yesterday, the day before posts from believers, from followers of Jesus Christ who are living this, it's, uh, it's amazing. 
Continuing to trust Jesus, continuing to obey Jesus is one of the tests that reveals whether we're really in or not, His disciples. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I've heard politicians use that verse. It's almost always out of context. I've heard followers of Jesus use this verse, and it's been out of context. Um, It's frequently quoted out of context. It's even applied to things like government uprisings, uh, social causes. Uh, Even I've heard it applied to making immoral choices. It's, It's crazy what we do with what Jesus says. But the connection it has is with verse 31 that we read just prior, which shows us that Jesus is talking about the fact that there is only one way to know the truth, and that one way is by continuing to believe and to obey His words, and that will set you free in this life, living by Christ's words. Do you desire to be set free? Pete, that's kind of a dumb question. Like, who doesn't want to be set free? Do you want to be set free from the guilt and enslaving power of the sinful patterns of conduct that you battle with every day in your own life? Wanting to retaliate, wanting to come back with some nasty rebuke. Do you struggle with that? Am I the only one? Who, I should not be the pastor. I mean, it's like, man, everybody, you, you should be the pastor. I mean, you don't struggle with this. And don't we so love the idea that we are free in this country? Yeah. Many have surrendered their lives to bring us the freedoms that we can often take for granted. Jesus surrendered His life, and died to set us free eternally from the destruction and the slavery of our own sin. Some say that you and I can make our own destiny. I hear it in commercials all the time. We are, some say, the masters of our souls. But that's not what Jesus teaches It's not what he's telling them here. After they say um, that we have no need to be set free because we are Jews, we are born in Israel to to Jewish parents. We're we're Abraham's children. I got the genealogy to show you. We, they claim, because of our birth, are the children of the one true God. And Jesus answers them and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he doesn't even go there, he just says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That probably includes you and me, all of us in this room, right? So you see, we are not born free. We are actually born slaves. There's a nice thought. We are programmed to act in God-rejecting, God-dishonoring ways from birth, Watch any two- to three-year-old and tell me that's not true. 
watch any 70- or 80-year-old and tell me that's not true. Yeah, just in case you thought, oh, dodge that one. <laughs> I got over those. No, you didn't. We are all rebels without a real cause. Freedom begins when you and I recognize that there's a problem. There's a problem that we cannot deal with. No government, no education, no overriding government control over the world can deal with this problem. And more than that, this failure, this problem is not just an occasional you know, minor aberration. It's like, oh, I can't believe I just did that. That's not like me. No, that is like you. <laughs> we need to catch ourselves on that one. That's not like me to say that. Oh, it's actually like all of us to want to say that, and some of us actually do. But this failure, this sin is a very fixed nature. It's in our hearts. It's in our personalities. It permeates our being. It's what we battle with every day if we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us. There's this constant struggle. We are slaves to the principles of disobedience and dishonor, and only when we grasp that truth are we in a position to move on to the second truth that Jesus brings out in verse 36. So, if the Son sets you free, has He? I mean, only you can answer that. Has the Son set you free? You will be free indeed. I know that you, He's speaking to these leaders, are the offspring of Abraham. Yes, you were born into this Jewish family. Yes, I can say to you, you were all born in America, or you're becoming American citizens. Wonderful. But look at you now, Jesus says. You seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. It's not the persuasiveness or even the power of Jesus' words that determined how people responded to Him, but the spiritual condition of their own hearts without God enlightening them. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen. And guess where I saw all this? Guess where I got all this? From the Father. And you do what you have heard from your Father. Now, 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 they, now they've got to be going, What? Right? What are you talking about? You know, every one of us in this room is unable to escape the sinful patterns of conduct without the help of someone or something outside of us. And that someone is Jesus who sets us free. And just like our world today, these leaders were confused. <laughs> They're confused about who they really were. What was their place on this planet? They thought that where you were born or to whom you were born or how well you lived your life or how obediently you kept the moral laws of the state in which you lived, uh, how educated, how enlightened even to God's Word you are, that all of that meant you were free, uh, in, in, in Christianese, saved right? So they pull out their trump card, and they slap it down on the table, Father Abraham. And Jesus said to them, verse 39, okay, if you were, and this is, you got to understand what a slap in the face this is. If you were Abraham's children, 
You wouldn't be doing, you would, would, be, do, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but you are now seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. This wasn't his lifestyle. So Abraham's two children are also only those who believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus? Then you're Abraham's children. Isn't that awesome? That's cool. I, I don't often think that way. Romans 2, Paul says in Romans 2, 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, not even if they're circumcised as a male child on the eighth day, outwardly and physical. It's, it's not what makes you a Jew, a, chi- a child of God. But a Jew is one inwardly. It's right here, right? And circumcision is a matter of the heart in God's mind, not the flesh. You can do all these things on the outside and go through all these rites and rituals. Great. Knock yourself out. But what God wants to see and what God wants is your heart. And it's done by the Spirit, Paul says, not by the letter, the written letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Because at the end of every day, who do, you I re- who do you and I really stand before? Yeah. No man. God. What Abraham did in his life, most prominently, was believe God. So the Jews who are speaking here should believe in Jesus, right? He comes from God. He's speaking the very words of God. So what we can get from this is that not all religious people are children of God, but only those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah from God. Are you a true child of Abraham? Because if you're not, I would invite you to stay behind when we close out today and get that taken care of. Do you trust in Christ? Do you obey His words? Verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. He still hasn't told them who, his, who their dad is, right? It's coming. And he follows it up in verse 44, you are of your father the devil. Wow! How to win friends and influence people. Hi, my name's Peter. Your dad's the devil. Have a good day. And your will is to do the Father's desires. And I joke about it, but it's not a laughing matter, is it? Not really. He was a murderer from the beginning. Christ gives them this startling statement of what their behavior really means and where it's going. A murderer. And that's what people uh, have said to me. They're like, when you, when you talk about sin in your life, well, I haven't killed anybody. Well, actually, your sin has killed somebody. It sent Jesus to the cross. And in six months from him speaking these words, they're going to see to it that Jesus is murdered. And Jesus goes on to say, and they don't stand in the truth because there is no truth in them. The devil incited Cain to kill his brother Abel. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. At the fall of Adam and Eve, the devil blatantly contradicted God's what? Truth about the way things really are. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of any sin? 
and there were probably silence. If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Have you ever said that to someone you really love in other words? Oh, I just want you to know Jesus so bad. But they don't. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you're just not of God. So they get really bent out of shape at these accusations, and they in turn accuse Jesus. Because that's what you do when you go on the defensive. You, you accuse. And they accuse him of having a demon. He's just told them, who's their dad? The devil. And then they say, no, you've got a demon. Fight fire with fire. Because in their mind, what Jew who's not demon-possessed would tell a righteous, ritual, law-abiding Jew that their dad was the devil? So Jesus piles onto that, that if you listen and then you believe what he says, you'll never die. And then they are still in their own little physical world of understanding, and they don't get that at all. And they say to him in verse 52, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And of course, Jesus is going, yeah. Who died? He died. Abraham died. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus has got to be like, you're, not, you're really not seeing this, are you? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you said, he is our God. <laughs> but you have not known him. He's not your God. I would be a liar like you. So their dad's the devil. They are murderers and liars. And then Jesus says, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham, verse 56, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews, still in their physical fog, said to him, you're, you're not even 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? See how, see how physical everything is instead of spiritual? And Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, here it comes, I am. For Jesus to say I am means that he was clearly claiming to be one with God. There is no confusion here that Jesus is claiming to be the one who was alive before Abraham was. It's not, it's not just before Abraham was, I was, that would simply mean he's, he was around 2,000 years ago. But Jesus uses the tense of the Greek word here, which speaks of existence before Abraham, that goes back forever. He's claiming the kind of transcendence over time that only God the Father has. And we know that that's what he's saying because of their reaction in the last verse of 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him because stoning is the prescribed punishment for blasphemy. Interestingly enough, the Old Testament says there needs to be a fair trial before you do that. But this is the kind of people, this is the kind of mob violence that's going on. Jesus was claiming remarkable things about himself. 
Jesus was saying some hard-hitting things about people and their worldviews. And it reflects onto you and I how we are supposed to be viewing our world today and all that's going on around us. They thought they were righteous. They thought they were on the fast track to heaven. Free indeed. We have it all together. And Jesus points out that they don't get it. First of all, they didn't hear or understand what Jesus was even saying. It can be so frustrating, can't it? When you're witnessing to someone and they, it's, it's just, they, they're in a fog and they just can't hear it. They don't see it. So I persist, I pray, and I'm patient. But it can be so frustrating. They, their actions showed that showed who they really were. They wanted to do away with the one who perfectly revealed God, but his version of God was not fitting their version of God that they had created in their own minds. And our society would prefer it if you and I would just stop saying the name of Jesus. They really would. Okay, I, I, I get all the moral stuff, and I really like that. I even want my kids to get that. But stop with Jesus is the only way. And lastly, they're liars. Proud possessors of the Ten Commandments, and they're breaking the Ninth Commandment right here about bearing false witness. They're not true. And people always will have to lie to themselves to cover up their sin. You've probably done it. I know I've done it. You have to lie because we don't know who we really are until we put ourselves in the light of God and see ourselves through His Word. But none of this then or today is a deterrent, should be a deterrent to you and I to speak the truth in love. Should it? To speak words containing the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. To speak and live the light of love, as he put it, into the darkness of our day. Speaking of the gospel, which is what this is all about, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are, as a church body and the elders of this church, are commissioning Jason Lively this morning. We're commissioning him to the gospel ministry. Jason, why don't you, why don't you make your way up here?